0: I'd like to begin by telling you an apocryphal story. By apocryphal, I mean it's not true, but I'm going to tell it anyway. There was once a righteous, rich man. He had made his wealth, he'd invested it well, but he was also extraordinarily generous, and he was a godly man. And he got sick, and he went to his doctor, and his doctor said, well, you're getting on up there in years, and I'm sure there, there's just not a cure for this, and I've got to tell you, you just don't have too many days left. And so the man considered his life, And he considered the eternity that awaited him in heaven, and he began to pray. And his prayer was this, God, you know, I've worked awfully hard all my life, and and I've tried to be generous and to give and to give and to give, but here I am at the end of my life, I'd just like to take something with me when I go to heaven. Just just a little bit of, of what I've accumulated, I'd like to take with me. And he prayed this day after day after day until finally an angel showed up. The angel said, I just want to tell you, that's not the way it works. The, the old expression, you can't take it with you when you go, is exactly right. You, you can't take these things with you on your way to heaven. And the angel said, listen, he said, I understand the rules. I know how it is, but could you do me a favor and just talk to God about it and see if he'll make an exception in this case? Because I'd really like to do this. I've served him well. I'd really like to take something with me. And so the angel goes and he comes back and he says, okay, God has said, if that's what's going to take to make you happy in heaven, then he'll let you bring one suitcase, one suitcase and one suitcase alone into heaven. And so this man, when the angel leaves, he goes in the closet and he finds the largest suitcase he can find in the house. And then he goes to his his safe and he opens it up and he starts pulling out gold bars, pure gold, And starts putting them in the suitcase. And he gets some help from his servants to take it up. And he plops it right beside his bed so that when the time comes, he's going to be ready. Well, that time wasn't too many days. And and the man died. And he did appear right up before the pearly gates and had his suitcase right beside him. And St. Peter's up there. And Peter says, "Uh, well, you can certainly come in. But I'm sorry, there's no carry-on baggage allowed. And, And he said, wait a second, would you go and talk to God? Because God has said that I could do this. So Peter goes and he comes back and he says, you know, all right, you're right. God said that you could bring in one bag, one bag alone. And I see you have one bag, but I do need to check the contents before you come in. Man said, okay. And so he reaches down and he unlocks the case and he throws it open. And there are all those gleaming gold bars. And Peter walks over and he picks up one of them. And he looks at it and he said, of all things, you brought pavement. You got. Some of you get it at lunch. When Debbie tells you, okay, the theology's bad, but the punchline was worth it. I hope. This morning, we're going to begin to look at the physical physical characteristics of this new city, which is for us. And we've looked. We as we look at those, we want to remember what we said last week. And that is the ultimate aim for us is not a place, but a person. You could have the most beautiful, gorgeous place in the world. If our Savior is not there, it's not worth going. The thing about heaven is that we will be with God forever. And that's what makes it heaven. But because God is a God of glory and grandeur and splendor, when he builds a city, he builds it right. And because God loves us, and wants us to share in his joy, this city is not just for him, it's for us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to come and to consider what it is that you have created. You've created it for your glory, and you've created it for us. And so, Lord, as we come, we pray that you will give us eyes to see and minds to conceive and hearts to receive... What it is that you have for us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to pick up reading in verse 15. We left off verse 14 last week, beginning reading verse 15 this week. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be up on the screen for you. Revelation chapter 21, beginning reading with verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out as a square, as long as it was wide, and he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its walls, and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. We're going to stop right there and kind of digest this a little bit. The city was being measured by the same angel that was one of those that had poured out the seven bowls, the one that we've just seen. So the angel comes and, and he's got his measuring rod of gold and he measures the city. Now this was, this was a very unusual thing and you wonder why in the world would an angel show up and, and measure this city. But we do need to understand that what God does, he does not do haphazardly. God is intentional about what he does. And this city that he's building was an intentionally built city. The precision was intended as part of its beauty. The holy city is perfectly square. Perfectly square. Its dimensions and width and depth and height, perfectly square. Now here's what's important about that. There was another structure that was perfectly square it wasn't the temple although the temple was originally built on a square footprint it was not square in length and width and height what was the holy of holies the most holy place it is that inner part of the temple where the ark of the covenant was placed where god allowed his presence to dwell with the people it was a perfect cube And now what we see is this holy city is kind of an expanded, blown-up, magnified holy of holies with the presence of God at the center. Its size is astounding. 12,000 stadia. Now that helps a lot. We can't even get the metric system right. How are we going to start measuring in stadia? Well, the good news is you don't have to because it would be really actually actually kind of hard to do that because if you look through the various cultures, the stadia was kind of varied lengths. It was all kind of close, but they were all different lengths. And so if we're going to give it probably a good estimation of the size of this city, 12,000 stadia would equal 1,500 miles. This is kind of big. 1,500 miles From side to side, 1,500 miles from front to back, 1,500 miles from top to bottom. That's big. It is massive. It is half the size of the moon. If you were to take the Holy City and set it down in the United States, one wall would reach from Miami, Florida, to Portland, Maine. This city is massive. If we'd have drawn out the entire footprint, it would have covered two-thirds of the United States, and that's just the basement. It is massive, unequaled. It's big. This is the city. It's being measured. Let's go on to verse 18. The wall was made of jasper, and the city of pure gold. As pure as glass, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third castelladone, the fourth emerald. The fifth, anybody want to try that one? Sardonic, see, you're pretty good at this. The sixth, carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. I'm sure not many of these are your birthstones. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great great street of the city was of pure gold and as transparent as glass. Okay, I'm sure you've not been to a city quite like this. We talked last week about the walls of the city being made of jasper and yet not really jasper. I mean, it was like Jasper, but it wasn't because Jasper is, is not transparent. You can't really see through it. And this, this city had, had walls that were made of Jasper, except they were transparent. And so uh, it's an incredible heavenly kind of building material, something that you and I don't have access to. And the, the glory of God would have radiated through the walls of the city. Now, the city itself, we're told, is made of pure gold. And this word pure, you notice it said pure as glass. This word pure also means clear. And so when we look at the city streets, so to speak, made of pure gold like transparent glass, and we see that the city itself is made of gold, pure gold, pure like glass, that likely means that the city is made out of some kind of transparent gold substance that we don't know anything about. But it is gloriously brilliant. The most precious substance that we can own. One of the most valuable resources on earth is gold. And in heaven, it's used as asphalt. What we're seeing here is that the best that we can come up with as human beings when compared to the splendors and the glories of the kingdom to come, it pales in comparison. These things that we want to hold on to and find out have such value here on earth, when we get to heaven, we recognize they have no value at all. This far exceeds anything that our minds could conceive of. We mentioned last week that the foundations of the city were exposed. Now when we have a foundation of a building, we don't usually see that. That's out of the out of sight out of mind. We don't pay a lot of attention to the foundation. And we read last week that the names of the 12 apostles were written on those 12 foundations. What we see here is that those 12 foundations are adorned with precious gems, precious stones. And we won't go through each of those. Many of them are located on the breastplate of the high priest, when he wore that, many of those same stones were there. And to be quite honest, some of those stones we're not really sure what they are because of name changes throughout history. We may may not know exactly what kind of stones that they are, but they were obviously brilliant and precious at the time that this was written. And when we look at these precious stones, there are a couple of things that we need to note. First, what we consider rare on earth is common in heaven. What we consider rare on earth is common in heaven. There will be no need of hoarding anything. Because it's all available. There's no need to put gold in a safe. No need to value it highly. The streets are paved with it. And the second thing that we can note here is that the place will be beautiful beyond compare. One of the questions in our grace notes last week, in our study notes, was to... List the most beautiful place that you've ever been. And some people mention Hawaii's, you know, different, different locations. And God did do a great work on this earth. But it will pale in comparison to anything that we see in heaven. Now, when we talk about the pearly gates, I'd often, as a child, picture the pearly gates kind of like strands of pearls formed into a gate. But what did we read here? Each gate is made of a single Pearl. Now, we have to make an assumption here. I guess it could be made of a round pearl and just kind of rolls itself from here to there. Or, more likely, carved from a single pearl. Now, on earth, you're not going to find anything like this. But it's no problem for God to create whatever it is that he wants. To swallow Jonah, he created a big fish. It was no big deal for God to do that. To make gates in heaven. They're made of pearl. Now, here's the interesting thing. They're not even needed because they're never closed. And yet he made them. What we need to understand is God is intentional about what he does, but part of God's intent is beauty. Part of God's intent is beauty. He could have made the world in shades of gray. He could make heaven in shades of gray. What's important about heaven is the presence of God, not the presence of things. And yet, it is God's joy, and it is for our joy that He creates things beautiful. And so, on earth, we need to recognize beauty. We need to honor beauty, but we need to recognize also that it will pale in comparison to what we will see one day. Picking up in verse 22 I did not see a temple in the city because the lord god almighty and the lamb are its temple the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of god gives light to it and the land the lamp the lamb is its lamp the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it now here what john is doing is he's turning from what is in heaven to what is not in heaven Because it's not needed in heaven. Consider this, the old Jerusalem. In the old Jerusalem, there was a temple. In the temple, or at the temple, they had sacrifices going on all the time. And they offered the sacrifices because of the sins of people. And so the sacrifices went on constantly because of the sins of people going on constantly. Inside the temple, in the Holy of Holies... There was a veil, a, a large heavy curtain that separated the Holy of Holies where God allowed his presence to dwell from the rest of the temple. And only the high priest could go in and only once a year could he enter into the Holy of Holies as he came to offer the sacrifice of atonement for the, on behalf of the people. But only once a year. Otherwise, the presence of God was separated from the people. Now here we are in the New Jerusalem and there's no temple. Why is there no temple? Because the Father and the Son are the temple. They are there as a testimony that sacrifices no longer need be made. The once for all sacrifice has been made and he himself has become our temple. Also, there's no curtain. What's significant about that? There is now nothing that separates us from the very presence of God. In a sense, we will dwell in the holy of holies. We will dwell in the most holy place. It also should be noted that there's no sun or moon shining. Why? Because there's no need for it. The light of the glory of God will illuminate that place. Now, when we think of light from the sun, from a lamp, from you know, in the from our ceiling fan, our light casts shadows. Right? That's how, we, that's how you can tell time with one of those old sundials. You can tell time because of the shadow. You have dark sections of your room where dust tends to collect because you can't see it. You don't notice it, so you don't clean it up. But the light of the glory of God casts no shadows. There's no darkness at all. There's no need for a, for a light to go and look in a corner or to, 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 do, to open a closet and look in. There is none. This is a different kind of light than we've ever experienced. This is a light that permeates everything. And we will live in the light of the presence of God. Today, nations walk in the light of the sun up above. They also walk, and probably more importantly, in the light of their own glory. Nations walk in the light of their own glory. And what we're told is that in the time to come, in the eternal city... The kingdoms will walk in the light of the Lord. The kings will walk not in the light of the sun above, not in their own glory, but they will walk in the light of the glory of God. And it says here that the kings will bring their splendor into the new Jerusalem. Now, if this is a literal picture what's going to happen, if it's not symbolic here, then there means, that means there will be kings... There will be those who are reigning in the new order, on the new earth, who will bring their splendor into God's house, into the presence of God. Now, we need to think about this for a minute. First of all, it could mean that there's going to be a system that God sets up where there will be a a ranking, and some will be kings and some won't be. If that's true, it'll be unlike anything we've experienced because almost any kingdom that has a, a king or a queen, there's some kind of oppression and unfairness and injustice that takes place. It's almost inevitable. As power concentrates, it, is, it corrupts. But in this new system, that can't happen. But think about this. And we'll see it in just a moment. As children of God... Could we all be kings and queens? One of the things that I have a privilege of telling, probably is especially uh, girls and women, teenage girls, women who are struggling with their self-identity, tr- struggling with, with a perception of themselves that is much lower than God wants them to see themselves. It's not humility. It's more shame and guilt. What I try to tell them is, if you are a child of God, then you are a daughter of the king. You are royalty. And in heaven, if we're royalty, sons and daughters of the king here, what will we be in the kingdom to come? And when we bring our splendors before the king of the universe, I doubt there will be treasures and trinkets that we have on earth. But could the splendors that we bring before the king be the praises that pour from our hearts? I don't know. But I think one of the reasons that we long for Beulah land, that we have a longing for this place, is that there are splendors beyond anything we can grasp here on this earth. Yes, we have enjoyments. Yes, we have pleasures here on this earth. But we recognize that this isn't it, that there is more that is to come, and that more is far greater than anything our minds can conceive of. Could you and I be future kings and queens in a kingdom to come ruling under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Could be. Sounds pretty cool. Something to look forward to, certainly. All the things, what we can say is this, that all the things that humans glory in here on earth will seem insignificant compared to the glory of God. Let's move on to verse 25. We're going we're gonna to wrap this thing up today. Verse 25. On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be, there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, we mentioned last week that the gates would never be shut. Why would they never be shut? Because there are no dangers to keep out and no captives to keep in. There's no need to close the gates. There's perfect safety, perfect peace. And it appears that praises will be constantly brought into the city. The glory and the honor of nations, will be brought into it. As I was going back over the message, basically the the concept that ran through my mind is a parade of praise. You know, pretty soon, pretty soon on Thanksgiving morning, there's going to be a parade on TV. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's a big deal. People line up. Days in advance, they camp out in all kinds of weather so they can be right there to watch that parade come by. Just this past week, there was a homecoming parade in downtown Greensboro. What we're reading here is that there will be a constant parade of praise that will be going on in the new city, bringing praise to God. There'll be one more thing that won't be in the city, though. We're told there'll be nothing impure. The evil and the fear that fills our cities and towns will not be present in heaven. Heaven holds no place for those who live under the lordship of sin and deceit. Heaven instead is prepared for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That is, those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and who have made their reservations... And their heavenly home. Let's drift on over into chapter 22 now. We're going to go through verse 6 here. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal. Flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city. Each, on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit. Yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. We'll stop right there. In Genesis 2, we read of a river that flows in Eden that watered the garden. And in the garden, we read of two trees. One, the tree of life. The other, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you'll remember the story, Adam and Eve chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and brought sin and the consequences of sin, the curse upon humanity. In the holy city, we also find a river. This one flows from the throne of God itself. And on each side of the river is a tree of life. There's a tree missing. In the Garden uh, Garden of Eden, there were two trees at the middle of the garden. tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the new city, there will only be one. The tree of life. Eternal life, folks, is our inheritance. That is what we will enjoy. That is what we will cherish in heaven. And that which was lost because of sin will be fully restored and even magnified in heaven. The word for tree can mean a single tree or it can mean a grove of trees. As we see, the tree is on both sides of the river. So either it's got some really long branches or it's a tree that we don't conceive of that has trunks on both sides and kind of grows as an arch. Hey, listen, God can do what he wants to, okay? He's a creator. Or it's a a grove, a, a stand of trees, and they're continually producing the fruit of life, there is no dead time. There is no fall. There are no raking leaves. Hallelujah. There are no barren periods. There's a constant production of life. And what we're being told here is that there is no end to this. We will enjoy, we will inherit this life ongoing Day after day after day for all eternity, there will never be a time that it is not there. And as for the leaves being for the healing of the nations, think with me. We've already said that in heaven, the consequences of sin won't be there. There will be no sickness. There will be no need of healing in the sense that we think of it. But it's healing for the nations. The nations need two things. One, they need peace with God. That is only secured through Jesus Christ. Two, they need peace with each other. That's what the nations need. War and death mark our earthly existence. But life and peace will mark our heavenly existence. We will not need CNN and Fox News to tell us where the latest wars are, where the latest conflict between people are, because it will not exist. And in verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The curse that was brought upon mankind so long ago is going to be lifted And the results of that curse will no longer be felt. And what we see in these verses are two great joys that we will experience in heaven. The first is we will experience freedom from sin's curse. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more guilt, no more remorse. It's gone. And the second joy is this. We'll experience the very presence of God himself. We will live In the presence of God himself. We will see him face to face. We will be his. And he will be ours. Again we're told there will be no more night. No more need to walk into a dark room and flip on a light switch. No more need to wonder if there's something under the bed in the middle of the night. For the glory of God will illuminate us through and through forever. And if you thought for some reason that being in heaven would mean that you'd be playing harps and lounging on clouds forever, think again. The book of Revelation informs us of three things that we'll be doing for all eternity. First, we will worship the Lord. We'll worship the Lord for all eternity. Forever bringing our praises to Him. Secondly, we will serve the Lord. His servants will serve Him. We will serve Him. And third, we will reign with the Lord. We will reign with Him. Again, look at this in verse 5. And they will reign forever and ever. This is why I think when it says the kings will bring their splendors before Him... This is why I believe it's talking about us. We will reign. How does that look? I don't know. I don't care. I just want it. I want to worship Him. I want to serve Him. And I want to reign with Him forever and ever. We'll be actively engaged in worship without boredom. No more napping in worship. Work without the curse. No more calluses. No more injuries. Perhaps no more sweating. And we'll engage in ruling without the burden. Without the power that corrupts. Then verse 6, we're going to wrap it up here as we've talked about heaven. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show show his servants the things that must soon take place. Basically, what the angel is saying here is, you can count on what I've just told you to come to pass. And he said, and it's coming soon. Now, this word soon, what does that mean? It means it could be any time. That's true on the day it was written down by John on the Isle of Patmos. It's true today. It can be any time. There's lots of things we don't know about. When that will be, we don't know the day or the hour, but this is what we do know. God has given us His Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. Our faith, our trust in Jesus brings us into a saving knowledge of Him, a relationship with God. And followers of Jesus Christ are promised a glorious future, a glorious home with a glorious God forever. The gates of heaven are open for all who would believe in Jesus. But one day, folks, the choice will be gone. You have an opportunity now. But soon could be any time. And when soon comes, your options run out. Your name will either be in the Lamb's Book of Life, or it will not. Do you know? Are you confident this morning that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? That if soon, or this afternoon, if soon, we're in the middle of the night, are you confident? That the glories that we've talked about over the last few weeks would be the glories you would experience. If not, I want to tell you that Jesus stands ready to receive all who would believe. If we would turn from our sin, receive a Savior, and believe that He is truly the way, the truth. And the life and the only way to the Father. A belief that would change our lives, change our hearts, so that we would follow Him forever. I want to tell you, it's open today for you. Is your name in the book? If not, why not? Why not today?